<laughs> Michael Myers. Born October 19th, 1957. Killed his older sister October 31st, 1963. Killed three high school students October 31st, 1978. Also killed three nurses and a paramedic same night. <laughs> Was believed to be dead, then killed four students. Hillcrest Academy, 1998. Has been missing. Unheard of last three years. <laughs> now he's back. scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is a Halloween, the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, here to tell you that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at thefearofgodpodcast.com. That's right, thefearofgodpodcast.com. And that today is a very special episode. It is releasing on Halloween. It is in celebration of Halloween, the film franchise. And it is the end of Halloween at Halloween, our very special series that's been devoted to the Halloween film franchise. But more than that, it is the night. He came home, friends and foggers. I have run from him. I have chased him. I have tried to contain him. I have tried to forgive him. I thought maybe he was the blackie man, but no, he is just a man who is about to start podcasting. It's my friend and co-host, the shape of friendship himself. It's Reed Lucky Reed. <laughs> How are you? Ah. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> I'm here. How are you? We're, uh, we are oh. two peas in a in a sickly pod. <laughs> yes. So, so you know, apologies to listeners and apologies to co-host, but I am indeed uh, kind of in the throes of a cold. I'll do my best not to be gross on the pod. I think sneeze I'll, on me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll. Do, I think I'll. I think Please I'll succeed that. at that goal. Um, but uh, let me be the first to wish you a happy Halloween. So uh, you are. Yeah. I, you, thank you. Yeah. Received. Yeah. Yeah, and let uh, me yeah. in turn, perhaps I don't know. You've got a lot of 
Halloween in your world be the first. I'm just going to assume as much, though. Yeah. Be the first to wish you a happy Halloween here yeah. this October 31st yes. of 2022. Yes, uh, you are indeed the first. And so, uh, yeah. So happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, listeners. Happy Halloween, co-host. Nathan, why, why are we here? Why are yeah. we releasing an episode on Halloween? What's what's going like, on? Oh, oh, oh. That's two different questions. Oh, okay. Like, why yes. are we here? That's true. I mean, you, you can, can get, get existential, existential if you want to. Yeah, <gasps> I mean, like, life's been weird. So, yeah. Huh. That's a, that's a good one. It's a big one. It's, mm-hmm. Why are we here? Um, we'll table that one for a mere moment. Um, mm. What is your mug? What are you drinking from? I am drinking hot tea. Because, again, cold. I'm drinking lemon tea with honey in it. And I'm drinking from mm-hmm. a Headless Horseman uh, goblet. This oh, is, okay. uh, yeah, he is. And now, I don't have his head with me. He uh, came, the goblet came with a pumpkin head. Because he's headless. That's, yes, that has, um, and so you can take the the pumpkin head off to drink the tea, but then inside the pumpkin, like the back of the pumpkin head, you could place like a cookie or or something. It's got a mm. little opening Look that you that. could have like, yeah, that you could have a cookie or biscuit or something. And uh, yeah, so yeah, but I'm drinking out of a Headless Horseman. Headless Horseman, okay. I think I've said on pod before, but Headless Horseman is my favorite, um, it's actually... He's my favorite, like, malevolent ghost. Like, my favorite ghost in all of literature is Jacob Marley from A Christmas Carol. But he's my favorite malevolent, like, scary ghost is is the Headless Horseman. So any sort of Headless Horseman merchandise or there was recently released a Headless Horseman game that I bought. um, And so, like, anything like that. That's when you just decapitate your friend or something. It's like, see who can... It's like throw throw burrito, but it's like... Yeah, but you... but So, you you know, you lose friends that way. But it's... uh, But, you know, it's... But you win the game. But, hey, if you win... That's, that's that's right. Serious that's, bragging rights you know, the, for people who are competitive. It's uh, it's on point. But uh, no, headless horseman <laughs> stuff is uh, it's just it's it's my favorite uh, stuff. So anytime my wife will find like headless horseman merchandise out and around, she'll notify me of it and be like, "Oh, you want this?" Like, oh, yes, I do," because <laughs> I love it. Huh? Okay, that, mm-hmm. I didn't know we were going to go there, but um, it's Halloween, so yeah, um, you know, there it is. There it is. I'm down to party. Um, so why are we here right yes. now? Yes. Why are we, why this? are we so, doing this on Halloween? What, what I don't we- know ultimately if you will, um, although impressively you have taken to referring it as such in our texting, but mm. I don't know if you'll refer to it formally. So, but I wanted us to do this Halloween log, um, <laughs> you know, this, this sort of coda on the end of Halloween at Halloween. There's two primary reasons. Honestly, one is, um, we recently got to partake in our annual, uh, uh, sort of pod bros extended weekend where we hang with peers. We've developed, uh, through this event called the fear of God. And Mm -hmm. so we were hanging with them that those of the quarterly King crew. Um, and while together, not only did we record the quarterly King, which you'll hear next week, but is when Halloween and Halloween ends came out and we, we just kind of like mainlined the DGG trilogy. Yeah. Just plugged it, plugged it into our, the crook of our arms. Yeah, we did. It was, uh, Corey, take me away. It got Um, weird, but yeah, I mean, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) and so while there, it felt a little, just kind of dumb to not just get those voices for posterity's sake. Yeah. Yeah conversation as well so so what originally was the plan was you and i were going to do 
the DGG trilogy, just kind of us. Right. But right. being all together, watching it all together. And honestly, as much as as proud as I am of that conversation, I don't know if you're like this, Reed, where sometimes you're like, I I thought this. Why did I not do it? <laughs> um, so you and myself, Ian, Andy Blake, all sat and watched 2018 and kills and then went to the theater all together to watch ends a, a, right. a, a rare occasion a, a celebratory occasion if everyone existed Indeed. and after it we all went to a restaurant and if i <laughs> some people are like if you if you had a time machine <laughs> like, would, you kill, would you kill hitler i'm like no i would go back to October, whatever that date was. Sure. And just turn on my friggin' yeah. voice memo recorder uh-huh. and set it in the middle of the table during uh, this restaurant experience man. because we literally had the freshest, most ripe and organically Absolutely. delivered Absolutely. takes on those that film. And, and it was a really great conversation. And I even thought it. I was Indeed like, you should do this. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't. I don't know why I ignored that voice. Um, but nonetheless, <laughs> uh, I wish I had. We did get a slept on it take uh, uh on the conversation but true story uh that was originally going to be the plan you and i were going to do the dgg trilogy just us uh, we were all together so we did that approach instead and part of it too was one we've been building this kills list we're going to be finalizing that oh uh, boy uh, we are etching it into concrete or carving it in the flesh whatever sort of metaphor you want for recording a thing for posterity um so we're going to be doing that but also i I don't know if there's a ton uh, that we'll be able to do beyond what we went into for DGG, but you and I have really been traipsing through Haddonfield's a little more on a cursory level than we're typically prone to with just focusing on a singular film, which has been great. It's been a lot of fun, Mm -hmm. Um, but we just hadn't really done any sort of 3000 foot view, big picture type stuff. Right, uh, so, right. so wanted an opportunity, not just to do the pedantic, uh, didactic, let's talk about the kills list type stuff. Um, but also just, okay, what are we seeing as we take in this, these dozen movies or however many the heck it is at this point. Um, <laughs> and so, so that's where the Halloween log came into play. Let's do a coda. Let's do an epilogue on Halloween at Halloween. That is just you and I riffing. It may be a super short, time <laughs> it I mean, may be that's a reasonably knowing, long time because we actually aren't covering a movie knowing us that's doubtful <laughs> but yes i know i know i like to plant the seed in case our subconsciouses are on our side mm, you know they're like, mm, mm-hmm. no boys you need some sleep reading some rest but here we are <laughs> and it's halloween and we're with each other and we're with our friends so so that was sort of the impetus for doing the halloween log indeed indeed well uh you want to just dive right into it? Like we're, you know, special. It's we're here. It's Halloween. It's Halloween yeah. at Halloween what are we on Halloween for? for Halloween fans and everybody else. So, uh, so here we go. Yeah. There's all the Halloweens. Um, so there's there's a few things that listeners can expect just out the gate. We're going to be ranking in a few moments uh, our top five each favorite installments in the franchise. And we'll get into more specifics when we get there. Uh, we're also going to be making the definitive, uh, we're going to debate about it, probably, some of the placements, some of the ties, uh, but we're going to be making the definitive Kill Hall of Fame top 10 for Michael Myers, and uh, then we're also going to be answering some listener questions. And what I'd like to do to start with, just to kick things down, is to start with a listener question. So we had several from several folks 
so I don't know that we'll get to every single one of them. Uh, thank you all for submitting them. But um, I want to start with, with one that's just kind of a softball that I thought was kind of interesting um, from Drew, who has been on the show before, talking about Stranger Things, a uh, friend of the show and host of Horror, Sci-Fi, and Beyond. He asked, uh, who do you want to see direct a new Halloween film? And obviously, David Gordon Green directed Halloween Ends, but as he said kind of formally and officially, he said, uh, yeah, Halloween is too <laughs> lucrative of a franchise for it to just completely go away. So there will definitely be a new Halloween at some point. And I'm curious, uh, I don't know if you've given this any thought, but if, uh, if you knew who you would love to see direct a new Halloween film. I have an answer if you, don't, if you need a minute. Um, yeah, I gave this a little thought. Uh, thank you, Drew, for the question. And... Here's the thing. My answer is going to be utterly rooted in recency bias. So, oh, okay, so I, sure. I'm owning that. Um, my memory is short. I'm I am Dory. Um, <laughs> but there's also kind of, yeah. There, there's kind of a place I could go with this. The answer to this question as well. So, uh, I'll I'll keep it brief for the moment and just say I think my answer right now is Ty West. I had the ooh um, okay. I was able to watch X and then Pearl. Um, in relatively close to each other. And um, for, for anyone who hasn't seen either of those, they're, they're pretty heavy. X is like the least sexy sex movie you'll ever watch. It's, it's uh, wild co-signed. how that yes. happens. Um, and though what's wild about the two of them is you can tell they're both rooted in a particular sensibility, but are dramatically and drastically different. Um, and I kind of love someone who could, pull that kind of thing off, you know, whether it's in right. multiple films, whether it's in a singular film. I mean, X is arguably a slasher, at least in its form. Uh, and it's in kind of the structure of it. Um, sort of a body horror too, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, so, so I could see a world where him tackling the, the slasher genre through what he pulled off in X, but at the same time, okay, I'm just going to throw this at you, Reed. This isn't a question. This is, okay. um, or if it would be a question, it's unfair because you haven't had time to think about this, but maybe I'll throw it out as this and you can percolate on it as we talk and off you go. So All right. what Drew's question is also inspiring me on, because a thing I've been thinking about is, uh, and, and this came up explicitly on the conversation we had regarding four and five with Blake where I mentioned you're watching kind of a franchise at war with itself. Like it, yeah, it just kind of yeah. doesn't, it, it knows what it has. It doesn't totally know quite how to break out of that and most effectively use what it has. Um, and so I, I even think that persists through the DGG trilogy overall over the entire franchise sure, I don't mean sure. in isolation there. But something that kind of came to me was it's almost like you could split the difference. And this is tying into the answer to your question here. You could almost split the difference between season of the witch and the Michael Myers stories writ large and, and do like a, this is shooting from the hip here, but like a tales from Haddonfield or a tales from Halloween. Sure. Because there's so much, even I thought about this, even in reflecting on ends and, and, at this point, listeners have heard our ends conversation, so there won't be any real surprises about our feelings there. Like, I like it a lot. Um, but even it, there are moments where you're like, I think you are pointing, the, the film ends, is pointing to this possibility, but even then feels hewed in by the Michael and Jamie of it all. But like sure. this Tales from Haddonfield idea, do a, do some sort of, whether it's a series of films, whether, you know, sadly, the film route 
lends a more prestige sheen to it. So that's likely what I would say do in this concept. But Michael Myers existed. He did this thing and it ripples Mm -hmm. through this town. And how does that impact? And I don't even mean like you're watching a singular chronology. It's just you're just telling stories of these people because what you do in that scenario, what you're getting is the impact of Michael Myers what you're and theoretically a Michael Myers story at some point in there too, you're getting anthology esque stories as well. Sure. That are rooted sure. in this Halloween concept. Anyway. So why I'm bringing that up here is watching something like X and Pearl so close to the, to each other. They're very much born of the same spirit, but are dramatically and drastically different in their execution. And that's kind of what's pretty awesome about it. So I like that idea of you could do whether if we're taking this fan fiction version of things, whether Ty West is heading a tales from Haddonfield trilogy, each one is circling the, the, uh, spirit of the Michael Myers vibe, but centering on different things, but all interlock with each other. That, to me, would be pretty friggin' cool. I do. I agree. Oh, it absolutely does. And I do think that would be really cool. Like, uh, basically what I heard, and it is basically like an anthology series of films, or even just an anthology film, that all was sort of rooted in the world of Haddonfield and the world of Michael Myers. And uh, and yeah, I think that, uh, even if that wasn't entirely what you were directly pitching, I think that's a a really thrilling concept. So I'm going to potentially throw you a curveball, um, and I'm going okay. to go to another listener question because it because my answer to that other listener question piggybacks a bit off of what you just asked me. So, okay, answering Drew's question first, I'll be extremely brief. Um, a, a Halloween film has never yet had a female director, um, and and mm. while the influence of original producer Deborah Hill and you know, the entries she's been involved with, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis as the actor and eventually, you know, assisted in crafting these stories. Um, but it's never had a female director. And I think Jennifer Kent, who directed The Babadook, would just do an outstanding job tackling the, uh, Michael Myers of it all. So, uh, my brief answer to Drew's question is just, yeah, I would love to see, uh, someone like Jennifer Kent, uh, Jennifer Kent directly, but tackle a Halloween film. I think that would be wonderful. But, Pivoting to a different film that I actually uh, was originally going to pass by because I didn't have a good answer for it. And then an, an answer kind of came to me that I kind of got... A different question? It's a different question. And I'm going to ask the question. Right, right. Yeah, and yeah. I was going. this was going to be one of the ones that I was going to skip just because I didn't have a good answer to it. But then an answer came to me. And so I was like, ooh. So I don't know if you have an answer for this or not. But Vera asked us a question. Um, and so I'll read it exactly as she wrote it. She said, just for funsies, if you were to make a one-off Halloween movie... But make it a B-type, you know, like horror, maybe a comedy with some social commentary or something. Think Halloween Resurrection. Um, and she asks, like, what would the social commentary focus be? Uh, who would you cast in it? And briefly explain the plot and how Michael Myers fits in. So I, can, I think I can do this relatively briefly. Um, again, at first, I, I didn't really have a good idea. I was like, well, I, I don't know. And I don't even know that this is a great idea, but it suddenly began to excite me. The social commentary I would focus on is the recent trend that we've seen in a variety of different places throughout culture and history um, of revisionist history. People who are either in denial about uh, certain aspects of history or people who place specific emphasis on certain aspects of history. 
the rise of conspiracy theories and misinformation, kind of package that all together of just the ways we think about recent events and historical events and uh, kind of package that up as a social commentary issue, the tendency people have to contextualize things through certain lenses. Now, starring in this film would be uh, Jenna Ortega. You mentioned Ty West. She's, she's in X, um, and, mm-hmm. uh, and she's going to be starring in the new um, Tim Burton Wednesday. series on Wednesday, Adams. So, uh, and then also I would give some love to Riz Ahmed. If he would be willing to come along for a genre picture, then yes, I would love to see Jenna Ortega and Riz Ahmed come along. And they would be uh, a couple who are aspiring sociologists, and they're doing research on the impact of you know, homicide and, and trauma of violent crime upon communities. So that's the starting point, is they are sociologists, um, maybe college age, maybe just out of college, maybe they're actually in the field, but they're doing research and studies on you know, the impacts of violent crimes to communities. And then what they would do is they would let the, the, their research into one particular town would lead them down wildly divergent paths. Like um, they would be studying these, these deaths in this particular, you know, Midwestern town. And some of those trails that they would follow would indicate that the killings were all rooted to family connections and that everything was all about, you know, the, the, the victim killing people who were blood related to him. But then there was another thing sort of train of people who swore that all of the events wrapped up into some mysterious rune cult that they, you know, didn't, you know, and some, and the people who believed in the family connections were kind of skeptical about the rune cult and the rune cult were skeptical of this. Like, no, this is what's really going on. And there's all these conflicting details, conflicting timelines. And in one instance, there's even some debates about whether or not one of the victims is alive or dead, because some people think that she changed her name and moved all the way across the country to California and that eventually uh, she was killed uh, despite all of that. Other people think she survived and eventually like came to, uh, you know, a kind of a health and a, a better adjustment in her life and everything. So as they're following all these disparate threads, it lands them back, of course, in Haddonfield, Illinois, where they're interviewing all these different people and in a way wrap up, hopefully cleverly, tying in literally every timeline we've ever had in the Halloween franchise into this sort of, you know, winks and nods aplenty where some people think that like the Thorn trilogy is what all went down. And other people think that, you know, the H2O uh, sort of it all is uh, the H2O and resurrection is sort of more what happened. And other, maybe some other people describe a Rob Zombie-esque experience of what they thought or saw happened. And then other people more the David Gordon Green thing, but it all wraps up and there would be a kind of a fake out whodunit mystery because uh, despite you know, while there's increasing paranoia and madness and maybe something more tangible arises, suddenly the killings start happening again. And what I would want to do in the story is withhold until the very end whether or not it was really Michael Myers returning or whether it was somebody who had just put on the mask again and was doing all of these things. And that would be my take on, uh, just for funsies, sort of like this social wow. commentary B type thing. And I, and I got really jazzed about the idea. I was like, cause it could I've, tie everything together, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it that is was the question. Gosh, there's a phrase I'm looking for that I can't find right now. And that's okay. So we'll move on. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> unifying theory. That's the, that's mm, the um, mm. phrase I was looking for. It's, it's your unification sort of story there. Yes. Basically, you know, I, God love our fans. God love Vera. When, we thought to throw out ideas. I really wasn't expecting, which is 
kudos on our <laughs> listeners' parts who formulate well-orchestrated questions. I wasn't quite expecting the depth of them, so uh, did not devote quite that level of brain space to it. But what I did come up with was, um, and don't ask me for full-on examples here like you did, okay. but yeah. is the, it's kind of like it It wasn't, it, I didn't set out for it to be, um, you know, the paranormal activity demon type of story here, but Ooh, when okay. someone says, pitch me the comedy version of this, you know, there's there's 40 years of Michael Myers on film. Mm-hmm. Now, sadly, as as anyone who's tried to piecemeal the home releases knows, these are there's a myriad of uh, cooks in these kitchens in terms of um, piecing it all together from a studio standpoint. So this would be hard to do in the real, but but this is fan fiction, so we're going with it. But you've got 40 years of footage of Michael Myers. Michael Myers never talks. Right. Or does he? Ooh. What if Michael Myers is really just like a really close, quiet talker? And we just, <laughs> we haven't known what he's been saying. And so you just take all this footage of all these Michael Myers stories over the years. Oh my gosh. And you just do like a zoom in. And it's like, what is he doing? Oh, um, hey, um, yeah, I'm just looking for uh, my neighbor. It's, uh, it's the, she, uh, might be my, she might be my sister, Lori Stroud. You know, it's the interior and, designer. And all cut. these hapless. <laughs> Yeah, all these hapless teenagers keep falling on his freaking knives. You know, he's like, "Oh, uh-oh, it's did like, it again." Yeah, you could do the you could do the two takes with that. One is you could do the Tucker versus Tucker and Dale versus Evil take, where it's like he's not meaning to kill all these people, like you said. They just keep no. falling on his knife, right? Or you could do the thing where, like, yeah, he is still a homicidal maniac. But uh, what I meant by interior decorator cut is that that's what he's like. Can you move your head just a little to the left? Can you <laughs> like he's whispering to them and be like. Sure. Here. He's like, yeah. oh man, you'll go great in the armoire, you know, like, and so like he's just, yeah. you know, and then uh, he's experimenting and all the different elaborate things that he's doing, he's just, sure. uh, he's just experimenting yep. and he's talking them through it. You while, could, you could, you, you know, would, you could shoot some new footage to, to tie it all together of him, like in his sort of his bat cave, you know, his sure, shape sure. cave of, of just the, you know, the, the planning and the plotting of him trying to, whether it's putting together the art install installation or, you know, just asking for a cup of sugar. I don't know, but um, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the comedy take of Michael Myers is he's really, he does speak. He's just a really quiet, close talker. He's and just a quiet. We just, close we've talker. not been privy. <laughs> it's just See? It's yes. right there. It's right there it's for the just, taking. That's really, really funny. <laughs> he's just a, yeah, I, a cod I, family. Call I me it. up. I love it. He's just uh, a quiet, close talker. I, I absolutely love it. Well, um, <laughs> you know, that's our take on what is a new, um, you know, a new potential for where this story could go. Uh, so, so heard. I, I, I like that. But why don't we talk for a few minutes about where the story has been? So I think the time has come. We don't have special music interludes for this segment, but I think the time has come for us to definitively rank. We've seen them all now. There's 13 films. And we're going to rank our top five each, our top five um, sequels in the Halloween franchise. And I should I should front load by saying we are going to ignore the original in our list. That's why we say top five sequels. And also, because we've been walking through the Michael Myers of it all, we're going to ignore Season of the Witch. I don't know if Season of the Witch would have made a top five for us even if we weren't ignoring it, but we are officially going to be ignoring the OG from 1978 and going to be ignoring Season of the Witch. So in this ranking that we are each about to reveal, 
Um, it will uh, not include those, not necessarily because they didn't make the cut, but because we purposefully excluded them. Nathan Rouse, are you ready for us to reveal our top five sequels? To rumble? Are you ready to rumble? Okay, so... Why don't we do this uh, for this little back and forth? Why don't we do what we have done before in that if somebody mentions one that somebody else has higher, then we can defer to that other person and let them go first when they speak. We won't speak about it in the entry that it is. Is that agreeable to you, sir? Sure. Okay. All right. I'm going to let you go first. I've talked a lot. Go ahead. What is your number five? Are you starting from? Yeah, we'll go five to one. Uh, Hit me with your number five. So, of course, my five is the one I'm most. Have you not ranked them yet? Unsure on. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. I just, I'm saying my number five on my list is the one I'm most like. Eh. Oh, I get it. Not, maybe, not maybe not. The, so, yeah, not feeling I the think heft. I will say that there are a couple of ties for five. So I'll just go what I had written first. Oh, okay. okay. I'll go what I had. I'll go with what I had written first as my number five. And that is the 81 or 82 Halloween two. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. For my number five. Uh, like I said, it's probably tied for a couple there. Um, I think this viewing wasn't as kind to it, but the, you know, kind of in, association of watching it with you for the first time five years ago, whenever that was. Um, and just what I still think is a brave choice narratively, whenever a film literally picks up from its, you know, predecessor, like right after. Um, yeah. And, and again, this is a sort of sentimental choice more than a qualitative one, just because I was still getting my feet wet when I first saw it with, the Michael Myers of it all. I will say, can I, okay, I'll let you do your five and then I'll throw out what would have been a tie for, for five. Okay. Um, well, my number five, uh, largely because of its second half, the back half of the film, and most especially because of how it ends. My number five is Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. That's my number five. Hmm. Um, okay. is it on your list? Um, nope. Okay. So I, Largely enjoy that film sort of writ large. I think it gives for me, even more so than the 1981 part two, it gives for me many of the same vibes from the first one. Um, Even though we do have a completely new set of characters, except for uh, Dr. Loomis. And I just love that ending. I think about that ending a lot. And I think that raises the bar on the entire film. Uh, and it elevates the entire enterprise. Oh, right, so, right, right. So, um, yeah, because it ends with, uh, yeah, with Jamie taking the knife. So, um, so yeah, so my number, my number five is Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. Believe it or not, the one I pondered uh, as a, in the moment eh, was Producers 6. Okay, honestly. so I'm going to, so I'm going to stop surprising. you then because okay. I'm going to steal it from you. I've already revealed my five. My number four yeah is the producer's cut of The cool. Curse of Michael Myers. Yeah. That's why, since you mentioned it, I was like, no, let's uh, l- l- let's go yeah. there. As I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what? I think a big reason why I'm energized by it has little to do, or not as much to do with its interior content and more to do with its release schedule. For years, 
The theatrical cut was all I had, and it sat in my imagination as that story. And so, before we had, you know, all the rest of this, the 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 David Gordon Green and everything, and actually, I'm trying to remember if the producer's cut was released before or after David Gordon Green's 2018 Halloween. I, I cannot in this moment remember if the producer's cut was formally released after that one, but I just remember that it felt like when I watched the producer's cut that it had been a while since I'd seen a Halloween movie. And the producer's cut felt like a new Halloween movie because even though it was just a different take on the theatrical cut, it was so different and I enjoyed it so much better. So that elevates it in a lot of ways, even though there's a lot of problems narratively with that film, uh, or at least, you know, there's some things that you're like, well, so why is this happening and everything? I just, I love the tone. I love the suspense. I enjoy revisiting that uh, more so than even some of the other sequels. So that's why number four for me is the producer's cut of The Curse of Michael Myers. And you said you would have put it, it was wrestling with it five. Yeah, it was kind of a, maybe a tied for fifth. Um, If I had to guess, I would say it was before the 2018 Green, if only because I I was so energized by that one that I think you probably would have. I just don't remember anything about conversations around a producer's cut oh, of six understood. since we've started fear of god kind of thing yeah um yeah i mean for me i think i think part of it is the thorn trilogy is so kind of weird um and that movie exists as such a this weird uh just like token of of cinema that it kind of impresses me even though its narrative is just wackadoo uh, it kind of impresses right. me with the producer six that like, okay, you, you, you got somewhere, <laughs> you know, right, and it, right, right, right. it kind of closes the loop with, with some bumps in the road, of course, but, but yeah, so that's why I would say it, it kind of ties for fifth for me. And uh, real quick, before we move um, on with your number mm-hmm. four, uh, I just looked it up and uh, the producer's cut was officially released to Blu-ray in 2014. So indeed, before that, which mm-hmm. further solidifies, like, that's some of my energy around it. We hadn't had a new Halloween movie since Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 in 2009 so, and hadn't had one mm-hmm. with this kind of tone mm-hmm. for even longer than that. So I think that's another reason why it just sits so fondly in my mind still to this day. And it's it's my number four. So, uh, yeah, what is uh, your number four? Um, <laughs> we just make choices sometimes, Reed, and we surprise ourselves. Um, my number four is Zombie Ween One. Wow, that is um, surprising. I'm I'm fascinated. Yeah, I just and love would be a very strong word that I don't know that I would apply here, but for how much I was ready to be out, it really did a strong job of justifying itself. Mm. Um. You know, I, I don't even mean from the standpoint of 78 needed to be remade. I don't mean that, but just, right. okay, this is genuinely stylish and interesting and same enough, but also different enough. Sure, of course. Um, and, and you know, I, I think, though grimy and dark, it still has some measure of restraint because it's trying to paint inside the lines a bit of the 78. Sure. Um I can't speak highly enough of how much I enjoyed Dorif and Malcolm McDowell in that film and their characters. So, yeah, I mean, I just think it has a lot of stuff going for it um, that on a pure, just like qualitative level, 
right it, it stands out for me i no, i'm fascinated by that i think that's great and to be honest with you i'm a little relieved i was you know we said this on the episode i think i said this on the episode maybe not on pod but uh, I was worried in the buildup that I was like, man, Nathan's going to hate me for dragging him through this franchise when he sees this. So it actually is uh, uh, encouraging. That, well, there like, you go. No, no, no. You enjoyed uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween enough that it even made your top five. That's that's uh, it's exciting to me. Um, what is your number three? I put ends at number three. You and I have the exact same number three. I put Halloween ends at number three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there's... There's a chance our one and twos are the same, though they might be in different positions. Um, Fascinating. Fascinating. So, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, why did you put Halloween in? Because, again, two? listener, we are actively excluding 78 from this list. Absolutely. So, yes. Yeah. In case that was unclear. Um, Ignoring the original. I don't know. I think that I need a little more time with it because at this point, I've watched it one full time and then like a fifth. uh i i started it and ended it once and missed the whole middle um for the second time um right right but i think as evidenced by our conversation i just think there's a lot more here is what is so hard reading i hate conversations like this not mine and you but conversations about cinema and media and all this sort of stuff it's like i get so sick and tired of the well it doesn't do literally everything it's after perfectly thus let's dismiss it kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree. So I don't think it does everything it's after perfectly, but I really like the things it's after and, yes. or at least that I perceive that it's after. Yep. Um, and, and so from that standpoint, I feel like it's a little deeper than almost all of them. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, because of some of its shakiness and because I haven't had enough time to really sit with it, it, it landed at three for me. Yeah, I gotcha. No, I gotcha. And uh, I would echo many of the same sentiments. Honestly, like last week, we just released an entire conversation about it. I'm sure we're going to be talking about the trilogy writ large, um, you know, in in a little bit more depth, uh, at least for another part of this conversation. But I I do like I have now seen it three times. I watched it the entirety of that middle time that you uh, mentioned. And obviously, the first time we were all together. And then I watched it with my wife when we got home or when I got home from that trip. And uh, and now three viewings in, I just feel very, very firm in my sentiments that it is aiming for something different and does so competently. I love what you said, that there's just this way in which people are looking for excuses to dismiss it, and I don't really like that. Um, there are people who genuinely had all of their expectations just completely not met, and, and okay, I... I, I, I'm not even trying to rob them of that frustration because I have films that have done the same thing for me. But I was just open for something different. I got something different. It was very thoughtful. It was very competently done. And because I was in the mood for something that was, you know, different and all of those other things, uh, I really have a strong appreciation for it. And I think even if I were to make this list again in a decade, I think Halloweenians will still be very, very high, even if it moved slightly up or down. But yep, Halloween ends at, at third for me. So I agree with you that I think our <laughs> next two are going to be... So I'm going to give my yeah. second place yeah. because if if I'm right about this, it's possible you and I have the identical three, two, and one. It's possible. Because I put 
H2O 20 years later at number two. Did you? We've got the same one, too. Yep, yep. yep. And, and, and I guarantee you we've got the same one if H2O made your number two. So, um, so yeah, uh, I said at length on that episode about why H2O is a special film to me and why I enjoy rewatching it. If there was anything in this ranking that might have given H2O an edge and put it at number one instead of what I landed there, um, it would be its brevity. I love the fact that it is so short and it is really, really light and easy to re-engage. If I just want something quick, like even something on in the background or something that I just kind of want that fix, uh, it is great for that. And uh, and I just I, I just thoroughly enjoy it, even multiple, multiple viewings in. Uh, I, I, so I love H2O. That's why I put it second. Why did you put it second? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't even know that I would say brevity. That That's helpful to me in just my daily life, but it, it <laughs> isn't necessarily cause for high ranking. And But to the word I would use that, again, you'll probably echo, it's fine, but is is economical. It's just really yeah, efficient. It's, absolutely. It's, yeah. It kind of doesn't bog itself down with explaining the hows and the whys and the whatevers. It just... And it's still very much hues to the slasher form which is sure sure there's a there's a group of characters at the beginning there's basically one at the end um you know and and on top of that does well enough by the broader halloween franchise that it sits easily in the mix so yeah no i mean it's it's you know we we talked about it relatively at length but it's got some of the more energizing moments of the whole franchise um singular moments sure um and just when you're looking at the cream of the crop of this dozen films or whatever it is, it's hard to ignore. Okay. This one's really good. This, whereas ends every now and then I'm like, I, I, I don't totally know, but I like, I like what you after kid. Right, right, right. This right, one, right. I'm like, I know exactly what you're after and I'm never confused. Yes. About it, that's you know? quite true. And, and yep. so from that standpoint to your, to your point, it's just, it's easily watchable. Yep. I don't have to Absolutely. think hard about it. And not only is it easily watchable, it also is pretty energizing, yep. especially when it's energizing. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. I'm going to let you do the honors. Go ahead and reveal the number one. Yeah. My number one is trick or treat, motherfuckers. <laughs> Halloween resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I put as my number one. I knew we were going to do it. Because listen, when life when life gives you lemons, give me Busta. You know, like that's uh, that's, that's that's what you need. This is about so. when life gives you just about anything. Give me Busta. Give me Busta. Uh, no, my my number one on my personal list. I don't know if Rez was actually yours, but um, is David Gordon Green's Halloween twenty eighteen. Um, so just so listeners are not confused, yeah. we were doing yeah, a yeah. joke about loving Halloween Resurrection when that movie's a mess. Although all love and affection for Busta Rhymes, but yes, Nathan and I both have listed. David Gordon Green's 2018 as our official number one of the sequels. Take us away, Nathan. Well, I'm I'm kind of curious what your take will be, but for me, it's kind of like it's it's almost like 2018 splits the difference between what I love about H2O and what I really enjoy about Ends. Like hmm. Ends tiptoes, or I'm sorry, Ends goes full. Let me let me me being David Gordon Green. I, I'm I'm going to put forth. This is what I think the Halloween franchise is about. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's thoughtful. It's thought provoking. It invites a certain level of intellectual curiosity. Yeah. But it's also a fully formed film of the the 2020s. Right. Sure. Sure. Halloween 2018 isn't quite what it is in terms of the intellectual side. Yeah. 
And so it's, it's, it is economical. It is telling a relatively direct story while also pulling from strands of an, a 40 year old franchise. Right. But it's also just, it, it lands like an uppercut as a film viewing experience to me. Sure. When I came sure. out of that movie, I was like, dad gum. That was awesome. Yeah. I, I really got energized by the whole piece. Sure. Um, it, it was, so 2018, we've been doing this for two years, which really wasn't that long. It was the first time as sort of an adult horror consumer, I'd watched a new release of a, so it had a lot going for it, right? Sure. Like, of course. I, I, I haven't seen any of the rehashes, remakes, retreads of other IP horror IP. Mm. And so okay. maybe I didn't have those burdening me with expectations, uh, as in lowered expectations. Sure. I just didn't know what I wanted or what I would get. And what I got was just a really thrilling movie going experience that was just a great popcorn movie, but that signaled not only was it just genuinely well-crafted, but also just got me interested, invigorated and excited about sure. the whole Halloween project. Yeah. 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 Well, and, um, I mean, did you surprise yourself on this list or did you know pretty much this is probably going to be the, I knew top. before I even made the list that duking it out for the top spot would be H2O in 2018. I knew that going in, but my long standing affection for H2O made me wonder if I was going to land in the reverse, which I think you might've suspected I would have done, um, to yeah. put H2O up at the top and 2018 at the end, uh, or uh, in second place. But, I think one thing that 2018 did uh, that was a bit rare for it, and I don't know it was utterly unique, but it was definitely rare, was it acts as a sequel to the first one while ignoring all the rest of the other sequels. Now, that's certainly not the first time that's happened in a franchise. It's not. But it landed in such a way where it felt very focused and intentional in a way that doesn't always happen. There was a glut through the 2000s and uh, even into the 2010s a little bit, of we're going to do a new installment in this franchise, but we're going to remake the original. And mm. this was something new. This was not a remake of the original. It was a sequel directly to the original 40 years later. And that has been done more often now because people saw how well it worked for 2018. It's now been done for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's been done for Hellraiser. So I think we'll see more like that but uh but it, it stood in a bit of a unique place and in that way they got the opportunity to kind of break a little bit of ground even though it could be argued that they are really still following a kind of template to the sure. original you know there's still a lot of the same beats but this is not the star wars a new hope star wars a force awakens um situation where they're just sort right, of copying right. all the beats. They are trying to do something a little different and a little new and extending things in, in a way that would hopefully propel the series forward in some exciting new directions, which I feel they did. Um, but no, that, the, the biggest reason it took the top spot for me over H2O is honestly because I feel like I give maybe in subtle ways, I'm going to always praise just being good at what you are but when it comes down to it, H2O is great at what it's trying to do. And Halloween 2018 is great at what it's trying to do. But it's undeniable that 2018 is more ambitious than 
H2O. And because it's more ambitious and still does what it does so exceptionally well, that's why I, I finally gave it the edge mm-hmm. over H2O, even though I think they both uh, really excel at doing what they are attempting to do. So, uh, so yeah, that is, uh, that is our official rankings of uh, the top five. Mine was... At number five, it was Return of Michael Myers, then the producer's cut of, of Curse of Michael Myers. Nathan's number five and number four were Halloween 2 from 1981 and Rob Zombie's uh, remake of Halloween. And then we both had Halloween Ends, H2O 20 Years Later, and David Gordon Green's Halloween from 2018 as our 3, 2, 1, respectively. I think you meant Halloween H2O 20 Years Later. Yes, I uh, did I did uh, aim for brevity and uh, failed. Um, but uh, <laughs> so They did not aim for brevity. Uh, they did not. So I have just a couple more uh, listener questions before we get into the Kill Hall of Fame, if that's uh, okay with you. Um, Let's do it. So one thing that I will... Uh, just cite this is actually a question that was asked, but it, it's not an opinion question. So I'll just run through it very briefly. Uh, from Jess, one of our quarterly queens, uh, she asked if there's any more historical tidbits or just in general, and I don't know how much we've talked about it, how John Carpenter felt about the sequels. And honestly, the answer is somewhat brief that he largely hated and derided nearly all of them. He was dragged reluctantly into being involved with Halloween 2. Um, and Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, he tried to do something new and was a little, at least in interviews contemporary to the time, a little bitter about how that all played out. So then when 4, 5, and 6 uh, happened, uh, Nathan, I think you shared a video. You might have just sent it in a text thread, but maybe you shared it on social media, but um, where John Carpenter was being interviewed, and he said, whenever they make a new Halloween movie, a wonderful thing happens. I sit on my couch, hold out my hand, and a check falls into my hand. <laughs> and he said, and then I... Go back to playing Xbox. Like he largely dismissed them as nonsense and 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 never really wanted to be involved in one again. When Jamie Lee Curtis was trying to get H2O off the ground, they wanted John Carpenter involved. But at that time, he was he felt uh short short shrifted from the earnings that he felt he deserved from the original Halloween, because it was a mega, mega success. And so he kind of priced himself out of being involved in 20 years later by uh, saying that he would take a $10 million payday. And they were like, we're not paying you $10 million to direct this movie. That's like five times the budget of what we want to do with it. Um, so he priced himself out of involvement there when Jason Blum approached him with the idea for 2018 to get him back involved. Um, then he, uh, Jason Blum is is on record as saying he would not have made the films if John Carpenter had not agreed to come on as a producer. So I think that's pretty significant. The last tidbit I'll share, you know, because he pretty much derided all of them, is that when Rob Zombie was making his remake, he he presumably reached out, well, he did reach out to John Carpenter, and they had a conversation. It's interesting to hear the two individuals talk about it, because when you listen to John Carpenter talk about it, he says that he just encouraged Rob Zombie to make it his own, and he didn't need to offer any advice. And he said, just make it your own thing. Just do your own thing with it and have fun and, and just go do your thing. To hear Rob Zombie talk about that, he talks about John Carpenter being very kind of cold-shouldered and like, I don't care, do whatever you want, and, and like not in an amiable way. So it's just kind of interesting because right. there was a little bit of a rift between the two of them, and, and you know, none of us... 
maybe we'll really ever know exactly the objective truth of the situation. But from Carpenter's perspective, he was just kind of in an offhanded way, giving his blessing. Zombie felt like he kind of got the cold shoulder from it. Um, But I mean, Carpenter did pretty much uh, deride every single one of the sequels. What Jason Blum finally said to him, and this will end my tidbit, what Jason Blum finally said to him to get him involved is he said, look, somebody is going to make a new movie at some point. Why don't you come help us make a really, really good one? And Carpenter was like, okay, that, that does make sense. Somebody's going to make one. Why don't I roll up my sleeves and, and have a little fun and take a producer's credit and the producer's paycheck and actually get involved in, in doing some different things? And so um, I thought that was kind of fun. And so. I, I bet Blum timed it towards the tail end of the life cycle of whatever the current Xbox iteration was. So oh, it's like, okay, I guarantee it. Yes. There's where there's, there's a new one coming out in a year. We need to get Carpenter on board now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Else we will lose him to Xbox. Cause he's a little man, bored. Yeah. He's a little bored with the current one and exactly. the other ones on the horizon. That's exactly right. That's funny. Um, it is worth, you know, yeah. I don't have any of the, the encyclopedic knowledge you, you have on some of this stuff, but I did on actually the flight to, to see you recently watch the Netflix movies that made us regarding Halloween. And it, it was pretty oh, yeah. fun. It was pretty insightful. And that is great. Uh, features a lot of the crew from, from the 78 Halloween. Um, Noticeably absent as Carpenter. That is a good point. Um, so the, the, the last question we'll do in this little uh, segment, uh, and then maybe after we do the Kill Hall of Fame, we'll have another question to sort of spiral us into maybe richer conversation. But um, David Pooler, a longtime listener and, uh, and, and somebody I had the privilege of meeting a uh, long, long time ago at the Alpha Omega Con, um, he asked, uh, so he's got a kind of a two-part question. I want to focus on the second part because I think that's, that's kind of interesting. Um, he said, I'll read his whole thing, but uh, I'm going to directly answer the second part. He said, I really liked that there were central themes in the new Halloween. Um, can it really be considered a trilogy? Maybe a reboot trilogy would be better. Um, it's also one of the reasons I really enjoy the Saw franchise is because of how I'm assuming that uh, David's referring to how all the themes tie together. But this back to David's question again. He says, that being said, are there any other franchises you'd like to see rebooted and what themes would you like the film to intentionally explore? Now, I have an answer. I'm going to defer to you if you have one. Um, I, I, I have an answer for it that'll be briefer than my pitch for a new Halloween film. But um, yeah, I want to defer if you, have, if you have something you'd like to see. You know, I, don't, I do not have a full pitch for this, but from a thematic standpoint, here's the hard part with some of the stuff is like there's the concept and then there's the character at the core of the concept. What I mean by that, I think Nightmare on Elm Street has, it almost sounds sadistic to phrase it this way, an opportunity because from a thematic note, you know, people have always had nightmares, right? You know, right. That's, that's probably from time immemorial. Um, but there's a particular brand of, psychological trauma that's happening in our world Mm -hmm. that I think Mm -hmm. a franchise like that, if it were smart in going about it could really capitalize on. Sure. Um, Sure. You know, and taking that kind of social trauma, channeling it into the nightmare sort of trope and convention. Right. Anyway, that comes to me in the moment of just like, that could be truly haunting and terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. If not, 
if it does if it avoids the camp factor well that's what i mean so like freddy freddy is a particular brand of character and i don't know how long you could sustain what i'm picturing which of a more heavy psychological you know kind of perspective on it with at least how he's traditionally been characterized yeah of course of course um well uh perhaps fittingly i also was going to mention nightmare on elm street so uh my Nightmare on Elm Street is one of the few major tentpole franchises that has not had this treatment done to it. Um, Friday the 13th is admittedly the other one. They've had remakes, but those were in the early 2010s, and nothing's been done with them since that time. Uh, So obviously, especially with the recent success and people doing things, Nightmare on Elm Street is getting buzzed about quite a bit because people are like, okay... Worked really well to bring Michael Myers back into the cultural zeitgeist. What could we do with Nightmare on Elm Street? And um, for me, if they brought it back, one of the things I'd like to see them explore more deliberately is something that I think is missing from, and I know you haven't seen all of them, but it's missing from really all of the core Nightmare installments. And that's, Freddy as a character is presumably going after the children of parents who destroyed him like the parents Mm -hmm. who vigilante violence burned him up he's going after their kids now that remind me is that established in the first film uh yes the original the original first yeah the the og original first film establishes that element as briefly as i just described it they add layers and nuances to it as it goes on but that factoid is in the first film now um what has yet to be explored in depth in any of the installments is the impact all of these killings are having on the actual parents of the victims like that that's resigned to just them you know looking sad or feeling stupid or some other or maybe their victims themselves or whatever but i think it would be really interesting if they did bring this back if they explore a character who is not having nightmares of freddy but many people in his you know, Nexus, his or hers, many people around him are becoming Freddy's victims. And I think it would be interesting to see and to have a conversation around, you know, when when you are a source of trauma, but, or like at least contributed to something that is pretty egregious, um, and then it's not affecting you directly, but it's affecting everything and everybody around you. I think that would be pretty interesting. And I don't think that the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise has really dived into that. So that is something that I think would be interesting to explore is just the way that um, this had an effect on the parents of the victims, even as much or more so as the victims themselves. And so, uh, yeah, but I think uh, we're on the same page that it would be really, really cool to see a new Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, Robert England is in his 70s, so getting him back, uh, he's as much as said he couldn't do it for a full film, that he might be able to do it for like a kitschy cameo, which he did uh, for the TV series The Goldbergs. He came back and donned the makeup again for a literal like five-minute scene, but uh, he couldn't do it for a full film again. I mean, he's in his 70s and just can't can't do that. So that, I think, if there's anything that's going to hold back Nightmare on Elm Street from getting there, it would be the absence of Robert England, which would be really, really sad. But um, 
I want to thank listeners again, everybody, for their questions. Yeah. Uh, like I said, there there may be one or at most two that we'll get to after this, but but it's time, Nathan, for you and me to really get into it and to rank. Okay. Definitively, no, no, no. Just get into the discussion, not like have at each other. Oh no, um, fight. Oh boy, here it comes. Okay, so we. So here's what happened. We've been ranking and nom- we've been nominating the kills from each of these films kills specifically by the shape um you know extending especially with some with uh halloween ends extending beyond just michael myers but kills of the shape and what we did is we got all of our nominees listeners a little peek behind the curtain is we had all of our nominees all of which you've heard if you've listened to all the episodes nathan and i separately gave each of them a score. We're not going to reveal what the scores are because that's not really important, but we gave each of them a score for ourselves. And then when those scores were combined, it left us with a top 10. But there are some ties. And so what we're about to do for you is we're about to reveal the top 10. And in real time, in this conversation, we're going to debate about what deserves the upper spot and the lower spot with those ties. Nathan, are you ready? Are you excited? You came you came ready for I'm it? I'm ready. I'm ready. Roll. <laughs> okay, so um all of these placements are really only ties between two films with the exception of the tie for 10th or place. Or two kills. Yeah. Or yeah, sorry, two kills with the exception of the tie for 10th place because there is a no less than five-way tie for number 10. So you and I are about to decide what makes the list and what doesn't make the list. Here are the five kills that tied for 10th place, and then we'll decide what actually gets it. Tied for fifth, or sorry, tied for 10th is Bob pinned to the wall from the original film, the very first time we saw the head tilt. Lori Strode from Halloween Resurrection, where she kissed him and said, I'll see you in hell, and then fell to her death. From Rob Zombie's first one, Ismail the Janitor, played by Danny Trejo. I was good to you, Mikey. Very uh, harrowing scene. Also from Rob Zombie's uh, part one, Judith Myers, the kill that launched a thousand other kills. And also tied is the doctor's assistant who was pinned to the wall by Michael Myers himself in Halloween Ends. So those are the Hmm. five that are tied for 10th. We are going to have to decide which one of those makes the list, and four of them will not make the list. I would like to start with a proposal. If you disagree with my proposal, we can discuss it. But I would like to eliminate two of these right out the gate. Um, Okay. I would like to propose that we eliminate the doctor's assistant from Halloween Ends because it's basically the same kill as Bob from the original. So I would propose that we eliminate the doctor's assistant from Halloween Ends and that we eliminate Ismail the janitor from Rob Zombie's Halloween One. Now, if you were going to make a case for either of those, we can discuss it. But I'm I'm suggesting we take those off the table. Um, I would uh, agree with Ismail. Okay. I think the only reason I'm going to disagree with the Doctor's assistant because I've been staring at this list for 30 seconds and trying to sort this in my head. Okay. I think I think if you're going to take Bob or the Doctor's assistant off. I would take Bob personally because I think okay. the Doctor's Assistant sequence in ends is the best visual version of the same kill. I agree with you, Bob started it, but the image of that tiny woman 
pinned to the wall and giant Michael staring yeah. at her is pretty haunting. So if it's me, I'm I'm with you on Ismail. I, I would pivot to Bob. So kicking off the list. There. So why don't we do this? Why don't we leave Bob and the doctor? Because I would make a case for Bob. <laughs> so let's leave both of them for right now. That's and, funny. And we're we're gonna take Ismail off, and then let's address the other two. So um, Laurie Strode from Halloween Resurrection. I was gonna recommend as where I was gonna pitch that it not make the list because as harrowing as it is, the David Gordon Green trilogy in the franchise largely invalidates it. I know that's not the point of this list or the criteria for this list, but I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's pretty harrowing, but it also is ultimately insignificant, which is why I would say it doesn't necessarily need to be on the Hall of Fame. I'm going to agree with your desire and disagree with your reasoning. No, I'm going to let you have your reasoning. I'm going to offer my reasoning, which is Ah. to say, I think it's because she doesn't actually get killed by Michael. She releases herself. Oh, that's a good, yeah, 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 yeah. Because the more I thought about it as I was thinking about this list before we got into it, I was like, okay, how am I going to prioritize these? And that was why was she, she got it. Isn't actually slayed by Michael. Okay. All right. Got it. So, so we've eliminated Ismail. We've eliminated Laurie Strode from resurrection. Uh, how passionate are you about losing or keeping Judith Myers, specifically the death from Rob Zombie's Halloween one? Here's the hard part. I don't, I don't remember what literally happens. I know mm. she and the boyfriend maybe get it on completely. I mean, he wears a mask and that's her haunting and harrowing. And then Michael comes up, but I can't, I, I just can't recall exactly. She's sure. wandering down the hall, right? She she is she's been sta- yeah because he stabs her while she's laying in the bed and then she tries to get away from him and that's when he keeps stabbing her so she's kind of stumbling down the hall and uh, and then he he kind of brutalizes her further uh, as she's trying right. to escape. So we've got two pins and one Judith. Um, yeah. I will let you boot the doctor's assistant and keep currently Bob and Judith. Okay. All right. That's uh. If you are if you are good with that choice, then I will agree to that choice, and so that'll just be a discussion between What's Bob a, and Judith. Life's about compromise. That's uh, I get I, it. While I, get I think, it. while I personally think, I like the doctor's assistant pinning better than the Bob one. Right. Um, right. I think. How are we going to do this, Rain? So I, know. I think no, the Bob. Just, yeah, yeah. I think. I think Somebody's Bob getting pinned. Okay. Let me make my case. Okay. You got it. I think. I think Bob getting pinned against the wall is a kitschy thing that is harrowing in 1978 that becomes imagery associated with Michael Myers. I'm not going to take that away. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. Unlike resurrection Laurie, which is significant, a a significant character death. Judith is actually slain by Michael. That is true. And I think between maybe I don't, I'm curious to hear your pitch, but I think if we're, if, if Reed's vying for Bob Penn, Nathan's vying for Judith, I think they do quote unquote right by the fact that Judith Myers is ground zero for yeah. what becomes Michael's, you know, yeah. future. And on now it's not as it's not as terrible as Annie and Halloween two, but it's still a pretty terrible way. Death. To, right, right, right. Yeah. So here is just the aesthetic difference between us, and then I think we're going to be able to move on because I think I think we may have landed on something. Um, here's the aesthetic difference between the two of us. I give credit more to ingenuity 
and getting there first, even if later iterations might have done it in a more substantive way. So I have a tendency in the Bob versus doctor's assistant thing, I actually don't disagree with you. The imagery of just a gigantic Michael Myers against this very, very short-statured girl pinned to the wall, that's a more harrowing image than when he stabs Bob because Nick Castle was only like 5'8". He's a kind of a short guy. So it's it's a more harrowing image in the later. I just am more affectionate for what got there first and, and just for ingenuity. And so that just tends to be what I give the credit for. Um, with Judith Myers, I also don't disagree that I'm just like, yeah, that that that's very harrowing, significantly more harrowing. There's a part of me in the wink and nod that I'm like, I don't think we even, th- maybe we mentioned it, but we didn't think to nominate the original Judith Myers from the very first uh, film, uh, yeah, you know, like, a, and so, because well, I know yeah, we would have we mentioned did cover it. cover 78. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but maybe it's because, so, so again, I'd, uh, not explaining all of that, here's what I'm going to propose. I am going to propose that we give all four of those others little winks and nods and sends them, send them on their way and entrench Judith Myers from Rob Zombie's Halloween 1 as the 10th spot for the Hall of Fame. The reason I like it is because, in my mind, it can give a tip of the hat, uh, a shadow award, if you will, to the OG Judith Myers death, which is, as you continually phrase it, and I think appropriately so, the kill that started it all. That is the death that started it all. Now, in Rob Zombie's Halloween, it's not the death that started it all because he kills other people. Yes, Yes, it's not the first but I am willing to give it that placement as number 10 because, again, I'm kind of tossing a wink to its shadow that Judith Myers as a death is the first one that started all of this. So if you're amenable to it, I'm willing to let all four of those go away. You can even, when we we publish this, you can say it's both. Judith from 07. Sure, sure. And Judith from 78. Yep, that that is the, uh, that is it. That that is the, the, the one. So number 10, is Judith Myers specifically for the purposes of this list the death in Rob Zombie's Halloween one, but that is number ten. So tied for ninth place and eighth place, and we just have to decide which goes where. Is this is in no particular order because they were tied? Uh, is Spitz getting pitchforked during sexy time from Halloween Five: Revenge of Michael Myers and? Also from Rob Zombie's Halloween 1, I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. Uh, so we just need to decide. They're both on the list, so we don't. this is not as cutthroat as sure. the last one. But we just need to decide what gets the upper and what gets the lower. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you, I'm gonna let you uh, uh, opening salvo. Let's have the upper. Um, <laughs> man, I, here's the thing. I love Joe Grizzly. I want the Joe Grizzly spinoff film. I want the series. I want the, you know, like how did Joe, I want the Joe Grizzly story just in all its permutations. Okay. But I can't there. I even, I did not rewatch all of these scenes. Okay. But cause I knew this one was going to be a conversation. I was like, I have to, I have to know how did this happen? Sure. Reed, my guy gets forked from behind. Like, no, <laughs> no. During, the pinnacle, you know, like I am because I get Joe Grizzly. I get the full Joe Grizzly. I get that scene. It tells me a lot. Sure. I want the story. He dies. 
like like he lived just <laughs> a man you know just he he tried but he but he failed but he but he fought okay spitz did not know he thought he knew but he did not know <laughs> what was coming <laughs> did That's, not know yeah that is coming. that is what she said and he just get <laughs> No, no, she she did. No, really, she, she, she did. did. She, she did. did. She, she did. did. She, she did. screamed, yes. harrowingly. So you know. So for me, between these two, if if the literal question mark is what's the worst death between these two, it is Spitz. For me, for me. Okay. Um, there may be. I mean, I don't know how much we line up on the on the rest of these in terms of these debates. There may be others that I would pitch harder for. I would have given Joe Grizzly eighth because. The specific image when Michael Myers, because Joe Grizzly, Joe Grizzly grabs a knife and tries to knife Michael Myers. Um, Michael grabs his hand, and that imagery where he's just slamming the mm-hmm. the knife against the wall, and like the bathroom stall keeps shaking. That imagery is one of the most harrowing things I think I have ever seen. Is just the size of Tyler Maine in that scene and he's just completely being very, very swiftly brutal. That's just, that's a hard image to shake. Um, but I don't disagree with you about what you've described of the circumstances around <laughs> Spitz's death. Sure. And so because I'm of that, demise. exactly. So because of that, I am not going to argue with you. That means that we have officially placed Joe Grizzly from Rob Zombie's Halloween one at number nine and we have placed Spitz getting pitchforked in the back. Completely did not <laughs> know what was about to happen to him. Um, getting pitchforked in the thought back. He did. I thought he did. But th- but he was wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> that's like the literal worst. Oh yeah. How it was going. Or what what is the what is the juxtaposition? <laughs> how it was, how it's going, you know, like Oh yes, yes, yes. You know, how about, it started. No. How yes. It, how it's oh going. Oh my god. Yeah. And so there, yeah. You yeah. can't. You cannot pitch a worse version of that. No, no. It it's like, it's like how it's going. It's like you you imagine the conversation <laughs> beforehand with Spitz and the girlfriend and be like, Hey, you want a spoon? It's like, oh, you know what? We could spoon you want a fork? or we could fork. And he's and he didn't know what he was calling down from the no. heavens uh, upon <laughs> no. himself. And no. so, uh, so he literally he thought he was just making a utensil joke. Exactly. But nope, he uh he gets forked. So um yeah, so uh Joe Grizzly at nine. Spits from Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers at number 8. Okay. Um, tied for 6th and 7th place are, from the original film, Linda getting strangled on the phone while Lori is on the other line. It was the Charlie Brown death where Michael Myers had the sheet with the glasses that he took from, from Bob. That is tied with the leather jacket band member getting blowtorched in the mouth from Halloween Ends. Those are 6th and 7th place now you 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 go okay i am gonna make a case because this is my aesthetic that we give deference to linda being strangled on the phone but i'm not just going the og route at this point that death is can be kind of upsetting and also kind of comical it is a a a rather deft blend of absurdist dark comedy and a pretty harrowing and upsetting kind of death because Michael is strangling her while she's on the phone with Lori. And Lori even doesn't even realize that she's talking to Linda. She thinks she's talking to Annie 
and she says like, oh, Annie, I had to hear your chewing. Now I have to hear your moaning as well. I don't know if she uses the word moaning, but like it's, it's that kind of thing. And so Lori is on the phone while Linda is unable to get a word out that she's in trouble and is literally being attacked. That part is harrowing. That having been said, the Charlie Brown sheet, the glasses, uh, there's also a pretty, as I said, deft blend of kind of dark comedy that undergirds that, um, that I think makes it a really memorable and, and kind of strong death. So I would give that to sixth place. Why I would ding Leather Jacket down to seventh is that what makes that so harrowing is the thought of it. They actually don't show you very much of it. Thankfully so. But they show you enough. It gets started. Blowtorch comes down. The face kind of lights up. But they don't linger on melting face. It, it's just, you know what happened, right. and, then it, and then it zooms closer. And so it's the thought of it that is more harrowing as opposed to the actual cinematic execution of what you've seen on screen. So that's why I would give sixth place to Linda and seventh place to the leather, leather jacket dude, which I think his name is Tony. I need to look that up. But uh, what say Just you? Just like a Tony. <laughs> um, I, I feel like I have fought hard for the last two rankings. And so uh, I will mm. relent. I, I don't know that of the 1978 film that I would have thought this particular one would, would rank as highly as it is. It's pretty um, interesting. Yep. I, for me personally, I still think the imagery, the invention, the innovation of the blowtorch kill would, if I were personally just making my list here, I would, yeah. I yeah, would yeah. put it above. Um, sure. You know, because, because to your, you aren't wrong. Even visually, it's the lower right quadrant of the frame. It's not yeah, even like right, right, a right. central sort of thing. But that almost to me is what makes it that much worse is like, oh, my God, they're not even they're basically saying, you know how nasty this is right now? That isn't the worst, you know, right. Whatever. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so while I don't necessarily know that ranking that order would make my list i have fought hard for um spitz above joe and judith above all so i will let you have your charlie brown okay well i appreciate the deference and 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 thanks so much so uh so yeah that means that we are putting the uh his name is terry i looked him up we are putting terry the leather jacket band member uh getting a blowtorch to the mouth and halloween ends that is number seven number six is linda getting strangled while on the phone uh, with Lori, uh, the Charlie Brown death. Now, uh, we can take almost an intermission of sorts from debate because uh, the fifth place was not a tie. Uh, something definitively landed at number five based on just our math. And I'm going to let you do the honors because it was, I think, if memory serves, your nominee for uh, this Hall of Fame. So I'm going to let you reveal what our number five on the Kill Hall of Fame is. Number five is poor old Vicky. In 2018, the babysitter, after, uh, you know, she's hanging out with Julian, right? Yeah. And, Flipping uh, his nasty ass toenails. <laughs> <laughs> That's what his, his words, not mine. Uh, yeah. And then she gets got. And it, I don't know. It's one of, not mentioned yet in this list, but Annie, zombie Annie is rough, partly just because of the sheer brutality of it. Yeah. This one to me is rough because like in a way few of these accomplish like mm. you you kind of feel it yeah you really yeah 
it's it's one thing to have just an inventive kill. It's another thing to be like, oh, damn, I liked those characters. Yeah, you know, like that's, yeah, I hear you and, there. And that uh, to me, that really happens in this one. No, I totally, I totally agree. So that was, you know, there's no debate. That is officially when we did the math. And again, listeners, uh, if you don't know, like we we ranked these or we rated these separately, and then the math kind of ordered them and sequenced them based on the total. Um, but the next two are going to be tough. The next uh, debates are going to be difficult. So tied for third and fourth place are as follows. Annie's brutal murder from Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. A very, very harrowing death. And arguably one of the most gratuitous and exploitative gross-out deaths in this entire franchise. The DJ from Halloween Ends getting his face smashed, getting his tongue cut off, and then the tongue... (laughs) Fl- sliding around the turntable and flippy flopping. Um, so I, I would like to to start this time around because I think if I can make a decent enough case, this might have been what you would have suggested already. But I could be wrong about that. I am going to vote that we put the DJ at third and Annie at fourth. And the reason for it, for me, is because Annie's death is brutal. I spoke about this in our Rob Zombie conversation or our conversation discussing his films, that the Annie murder is one of the ones that just sort of put knots in my stomach more than other horror deaths like writ large. But there is an emotionality to it that makes it kind of a little uncomfortable, which I think means it deserves to be on this list. But compared, I I kind of made this identical case for why Linda should be above the blowtorch guy was with the DJ, similar kind of story. There's a bit of absurdist dark Mm. comedy going on, especially with the tongue on the turntable. Um, And so that, to me, gives that death a little bit of an edge. It is significantly more like gross and in your face and and, and, and all of that. Um, And Annie's death, you know, lands harder, especially when her father, Brad Dura, finds her, when Lori in that film finds her. It's very emotionally wrenching. But um, for the deft blend of it's gross, it's harrowing, it's also darkly comic, I would give the DJ ranked number third and Annie put at number fourth. Do you feel differently or would you agree to that? No, in fact, you surprised me there. Um, mm. So no, I, I, not because... I don't not disagree with you because I feel super strongly Annie's not worth it, but as in just, no, I, I think, um, and remind me, doesn't the, the, God, this is what a terrible, Oh, someone out of context would be like, Oh my God. Um, <laughs> doesn't Annie's death largely take place off screen. I mean, I know you get a lot of audio, uh, but the actual, indeed it does. Um, yeah, and, and, and that almost makes it a little bit worse, kind of your argument for the blowtorch guy as well, that it's like, because what you don't see is so brutal, what you do see hits a bit harder, because then, like, mm-hmm. you don't see him actually, uh, you know, make the knife cuts and everything like that, but then the door just opens, and it's just, you know, sure. blood splatter everywhere, and, and so you just visualize and envision what's been happening, and it's all the worse for it, but yeah, it does largely happen off screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is if we're splitting hairs, the inventiveness, the absurdity, the just 
squeam, you know, gross out factor of the DJ. Yeah. Uh, scene to me just edges it out a little bit. Yeah. Because it's literally all on screen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so, uh, that means that we put, we, we agreed to put Annie's brutal murder from Rob Zombie's Halloween two at number four and the DJ from Halloween ends, uh, so much that that poor guy went through, uh, at number three. So, uh, that brings us to our tie for first and second place. We're going to have to decide right now what is second place in the Michael Myers slash the shape kills of all time and what is first place and uh perhaps thankfully both of these kills are actual micro michael myers kills not just the shape kills they're they're michael myers i'm going to say what they are and i'm going to let you make the case for what you think should be first and what should be second so tied for first and second is from david gordon green's 2018 halloween oscar the poor vampire costumed oscar after the motion sensors reveal Michael, he gets stabbed, he tries to run away, he fails to escape, and gets stabbed through the chin up, you know, yeah. kind of gets hung on the fence, impaled yeah. upon the fence. Pretty pretty gross, pretty, pretty gnarly death. That is tied with, from 1981's Halloween 2, Karen, after old... Chicken fingers, Michael. After buffalo chicken wings, <laughs> buffalo fingers. yeah. After <laughs> buffalo chicken fingers. After ter- ooh, teriyaki. Oh, oh, this one's salt and vinegar, uh, garlic parmesan. So after all of that, uh, mm-hmm. she gets her face melted in the hot tub and succumbs uh, brutally. So uh, to do that, so um, that's what's tied. What do you think should take the top spot, Nathan? Maybe I'll make this easy for us. So. If we were making a rank, uh, a ranking of top 10 scenes Mm. across the Halloween franchise, I think there's a case to be made that Oscars might be number one. Okay. Sequences, right? Like it's a pretty awesome sequence. Yeah undeniable the inventiveness the cinematography the suspense of the build-up to his death sure that said what little i do know or did know about halloween the franchise the death the hot tub death kind of lives in cinema history yeah yeah um and so again i think the sequence that leads to oscar's death is possibly number one worthy if we're talking means by which Michael or the shape kills someone and it's uh, significance to memory. Yeah. Karen in the hot tub is probably should be number one. Yeah. And uh, you're not going to, you're not going to get an argument from me. Um, I love the way you framed it and I love the largely Oscars demise is elevated by what's around it. That motion sensor sequence is fantastic. Mm-hmm. After Allison finds, I said this on the episode, but after Allison finds his body, that wonderful piece of score from John Carpenter kicks in. Uh, the, the entire sequence is really, really stunning. But I'm content with it being at number two because, yeah, Karen getting her face melted off, there's nothing like it in the rest of the franchise. Like, that is a unique sort of stipulation. He doesn't drown anybody else, let alone drown them in boiling water. 
Uh, so uh, Danny Trejo, sir. Uh, well, man. he does drown. He does drown Danny Trejo. Thank you for that correction. Uh, sure, I, I, I see that hand. No, that is true. Um, but that is not how Danny Trejo dies. He shoves him in the water, and then while Danny Trejo is laying on the ground, succumbing from it, Michael rips a television off and throws it on oh, Danny Trejo's okay. head. Fair, so fair. I'd forgotten that yeah, part. So, yep. um, but. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, so, Michael, <laughs> never the one to no. let like, a good drowning he's like, suffice when exactly. a TV to the dome could do the trick for exactly. you. Exactly. He's like, I've done this before. I'm going to do something different this time. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. In the middle of it, he's like, huh. He does the head tilt. Huh. <laughs> he's like, nope. Nope, no, nope. Change up. Actually, reminder, Reed. He does the head, t- head tilt, and then the camera and the mic zoom way in, and he goes, huh. Maybe something different. <laughs> he's a really quiet close talker that's right so right 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 um okay no so so, but we are agreed uh that death should be number one i knew from the start of this list that 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 death was going to make the list i'm a little bit pleased to see it land at number one because i i will call back out that 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 kill specifically has some resonance with me from the first time i went to ever to Halloween Horror Nights and walked through the Halloween 2 maze and and the you know saw that scene recreated and it scared me. So, uh, I'm super quick and then we can get into some other discussion and maybe wind down uh, depending on how much there is. I'm super quick going to run down these kills just to remind listeners in case this is the part you re- went to. Number 10 is Judith Myers from Rob Zombie's Halloween. Uh, the kill that started it all with a wink, a nod, and a head tilt uh, a tip of the hat if you will to the same character's death in the original 1978 film number nine also from rob zombies halloween joe grizzly number eight from halloween five revenge uh spitz getting pitchforked during sexy time number seven terry the letter jacket getting a blowtorch to the face from halloween ends number six Linda getting strangled while she's on the phone with Lori, the Charlie Brown death. Number five was Vicky, the babysitter who, after checking the closet, found Michael Myers. Um, it's very, very sad. Number four is Annie's brutal slaying from Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Number three is the DJ from Halloween Ends who gets his face smashed and his tongue cut out and then the tongue on the turntable. Number two is Oscar the costume vampire from David Gordon Green's Halloween 2018. And number one, the Kill Hall of Fame sitting at the top is Karen after chicken fingers Michael getting melted <laughs> her face in the hot tub from 1981's Halloween 2. I do think it's interesting that ha- that a a kill from 1981 made the top of the list. That's that's impressive. That's impressive. But uh but it is definitive and it is locked in. That was the list. That is the kill Hall of Fame listeners. It's definitive. We've been building to it for like 6 weeks. That's it. And 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 that is it. Uh w- you can argue with us if you'd like to, or or, or where did we get it wrong, or you know, and just, just be wrong, <laughs> discuss rankings or whatever. But this is this is objective. This is pretty definitive. Um, yeah. So uh, th- there there were two sort of, and I'm going to mention them both in quick succession. There were two kind of thoughtful questions uh, that I'm going to let kind of spark whatever closing statements we have about this franchise writ large. Um, they came. One of them came from. Uh, our old friend and friend of the show, uh, guest on the Rocky episode, Keith Cassidy. Um, and another one came from continuity guru, Stephen Beckley. Um, so, but I'm just going to mention them both because then they both lead to a conversation about Michael Myers. Keith asked, why does Michael feel the need to wear a mask? Is it for the effect it has on others or the effect it has on himself? Um, could he do what he does without it? And in a similar spirit, 
Steve Beckley asked, where does the term boogeyman come from, and why is it applied uh, to Michael Myers? I'm going to ask Beckley's question in a different way. Uh, you know, what makes Michael Myers a boogeyman, and why is that so synonymous? So, um, I'll I'll start my answer just to give uh, you a moment to think about it or to process it. Maybe you already had that opportunity, but I loved the concept of trying to figure out why he wears the mask. And my short answer to the question is, I think, because this is true of every iteration, Rob Zombie's, David Gordon Green's, the originals, the Thorn trilogy, everything, is he wears the mask, and when somebody tries to remove the mask, he very quickly tries to put it back on. And to me, the way I would define that is he wears the mask because to him, the mask is permission to do what he's doing. Maybe there's a psychology to he's becoming the shape. He's not Michael Myers anymore. He's just becoming the shape. And we see it in other places as well, where when characters put on the mask, whether they be Corey or Dr. Sartain or uh, maybe in Rob Zombie's first Halloween, uh, when Michael, the, the, the boyfriend of uh, Judith Myers, before Michael puts it on, he puts on the mask. The mask is a kind of twisted permission that gives people the freedom to do their darker and more negative impulses that, that maybe they wouldn't have had earlier. That was my take on the mask part of the question. Does that resonate at all? Or are you like, no, Reed, that's, that's very stupid. I would never just verbalize, Reed, that's very stupid. I would just, <laughs> just think, think it, it um, and move on with my life. <laughs> well, I, I don't, do you have explicit thoughts on the Beckley question? Cause you know, the boogeyman part of it. Um, yeah, honestly, I, the, the, the again in brevity is I think the boogeyman question is just boogeyman is an all as a word is an all encompassing term for just a presence of evil and I think the reason it's a, it appropriately fits to Michael Myers is because conceptually from the original film Michael Myers is supposed to be that embodiment just an embodiment of a presence of evil ubiquitous uh, possibly around any corner unsuspectingly so. Um, and so that's why I think that is how he is described. Now, to to honor uh, Steve's question, I actually don't know the origins of the term boogeyman. I, I could have looked it up. I, I didn't have the opportunity or the time to, to properly research it. I don't know the actual origins of the word. But I do know that boogeyman is a blanket kind of statement to identify just the presence of evil in a place, and uh, and I think that's why it's appropriately applied applied uh, to Michael Myers. But uh, yeah, that's those are my responses. Well, I think whatever sort of thought I might have will will, will be a sort of marriage of all of those ideas, and and so I'll I'll kind of sidestep explicitly answering them didactically and just kind of spew about what I've been pondering mm. uh, that mm. that is in in keeping with both the spirit of the questions. I think. And, you know, Halloween Kills would still be, um, Halloween Kills the movie in isolation would still probably rank mid, middle of the pack, a hair lower than middle of the pack for me. But Halloween Kills the bridge between 2018 and ends, um, I'm not trying to build a rationale for liking kills. I'm simply trying to make a statement that the more I ponder what the 
DGG trilogy is after, or what I think it's after, the more impressed I am with it because, you know, to anyone listening who listened to our conversation from last week uh, that that explicitly dealt with kills and ends will hear this. I haven't re-listened to that conversation yet, so I don't know exactly how it materializes in it. But but Quarterly King Ian Olson unlocked for me something in ends that I thought disrupted an idea I had about kills because the thing I love about kills is that it pivots to me. It pivots my perception of the mythology, um, that Michael is in pursuit of Laurie and instead has him basically after his home, after his, his place, his, his right, right. familiar, you know, maybe the, you could say the birthplace of, of whatever it is he is at this point. And even then Karen isn't, attacked and killed because she's Laurie's daughter. She's sure and killed because she's th- there. Right. Um, right. well the way ends begins, I sort of thought, or the way ends plays out culminating in Michael terrorizing Laurie in her own kitchen at her new house. I was like, Oh, well what I thought was kind of interesting about kills. Did it just get sort of subverted there? And is this really just another kind of Michael story? Well, yeah, yeah. Ian brings it up and I'm tying it back in here because of Keith's question that, that is in the same, it's swimming in the same river that Michael lived in until he was found by Riverman. Uh, and what Ian opened up for me, he's like, well, no, he's after his mask. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh yes. Yeah. That's it. He's not again, he's not after Lori. He's, he's after the totem. He's after this thing. Right. And I love something I do love about the green trilogy that the bigger franchise always wants to have its cake and eat it too with, but he, it feels like he just commits is Michael Myers. No Michael Myers. It doesn't matter. It is the shape. It is this. Yeah. yeah. It, it happens to be attached to or embodied in the physical form of a man who once was named Michael Myers, but this is not, you know, I've read, I know this, I know these two questions weren't, Hey, defend Halloween ends, but my thoughts on the answers to these questions are rooted in how I receive right. the green trilogy culminating yeah. in ends. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I ha- actually haven't done voluminous reading on people's takes, but when I see a take, I'm like, Oh, I wonder. And, and usually it's like, Oh, well, i I don't, you're a smart writer. I think you might've missed a thing or two. Sure. To the point that read to the point one, I even read today. It was wild because I've been thinking about this mask thing since our conversation, which at this point was about a week and a half ago or so. Okay. Um, the mask idea, I read a review today of ends or a hot take of ends, you know, here's, here's ends, poor plot holes or whatever. (laughs) Okay. And someone is, browbeating the the how the michael laurie culmination happens and i i am not making this up there's a sentence in this piece and it is literally a throwaway that says unless he was just there to get his mask and moves right along wow 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 yeah yes yes yeah that is it that is it and so you know something like the dgg trilogy which i think is a really good distillation of of what's really strong in the mythos is them just saying by the fact that he's never fully visible. Right. I suppose anytime, you know, a face is being talked about and you say, 
he's never i want to finish it with fully dressed without a smile but that just really (laughs) is not not the spirit of a rapper here but you yeah you never you literally never see his face it is always obscured to me it isn't oh look michael's just been hanging out in the cave for four years (laughs) like you're you're kind of missing the point here yeah the movie the story tells you that his 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 nest got destroyed right like the house got destroyed post the events of kills even to the point that there's a world where i I know i'm you're probably like nathan you're going all over the place i am Mm -hmm. because i've been thinking about this stuff but even as sort of absurd as the end of kills is it's at least in spirit with this idea meaning not just oh michael's you know he always gets back up okay again missing the point yeah the shape cannot be killed through normal instruments and implements. Yeah. And if anything, kind of what gets echoed in the cavern in ends when Michael kind of recharges yeah. when he kills the cop, right? Allison's ex-boyfriend mm-hmm. that to me, that's an echo of the end of kills, which mm-hmm. is he is, he is transcending to even use the, yeah. To even use the pronoun. He is a bit of a misnomer because it's, it's a thing. It's, sure. it's no longer, right. it, it is a Pennywise. It is, it is a, 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 you know, kind of Cthulhu esque yeah. creature at this right, point. Right. It is not normal man. And so long, 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 long winded way of talking about this mask. Like to me, it's the totem. It is, it is yeah. the channeling. You're not wrong. I think human Michael at a certain point used the mask as permission to do these things, but we're way to me, we're way past at least in this iteration. Yeah. That, mm. um, you know, but, but it's an interesting question because, when I was sort of loosely jokingly pitching my Haddonfield tales earlier, um, yeah. the, the social commentary aspect of the mask, the, the anonymizing agent, like what came to me was a kid behind a computer screen, you know, and, and mm. th- these, and I don't mean child, I just mean young person these days who uses the anonymizing agent of the internet, right. Somehow right. morphs that into the real and goes on a killing spree type thing, which we're seeing routinely. Um, mm. but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hold on to the plot loosely here while still conveying what I think is the franchise, excluding the green trilogy always wants to say, is he a man or is he uh, the, the shape? Right. He's both. Is he a you man know, or like, is he well, a Muppet? Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> or is a Muppet of a man? Yes. This one to me and, and what kind of elevates even more this trilogy is it's, it feels like if you look at the whole picture of these three films, it's saying he's not a man. Just period. Right. We're, we're right. not even toying with that anymore. He might have been at one point in the far distant past, but he is now just engine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, 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 in, uh, engine of evil feels silly, <laughs> but it's that. Yeah, it's like there's a churning, not, right? Right, and so this boogeyman idea. What's so lovely? And when I first pitched the Halloween log to you, oh. I said something about the the themes, and and I'm I'm gonna try to be concise with this, but something that is fascinating to me about Halloween, and I haven't I haven't imbibed all the franchises there are out there. And so maybe, maybe I'm identifying something in Halloween. that's a bit more broad. I don't know, but to me, the power of the Halloween story is the probable versus the possible. It's mm. like this stuff 
can and might and will find you. Lori says, evil doesn't die. It just changes shape. Right. Right. But it's about our, another bumper sticker. It's about learning to no longer fear, fear. Mm. Mm. It's about knowing fear is real. This, this shape exists. Right. And it will be embodied and in whatever boogeyman we assign it. Yeah. Whether that's a real life scapegoat we want, whether that in Halloween kills is the, the penguin, you know, like mm. it's, it's going to, we're going to fabricate it and assign the boogeyman to something. Right. Right. Or it's going to be a real thing too. Or the actual is going to infect others. A la Corey. Like it's all in the stew of this trilogy. Right. This notion that, sh- that Lori, you know, is it shortcut? I, I, I frankly don't care a ton. It's, it's what it gives us. Like God bless Lori Strode, who at the beginning of ends is, is attempting uh, a liberative life. Right. Of course. Um, God bless. I love the stumble in last week of the Laurie Strode who, and it's such an intentionally framed and executed shot of down the hall from Mike, from the shapes perspective, a Laurie unconcerned with what's over her shoulder, walking past right, the threshold. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's just so expertly delivered there. And it's that it's, it's learning training practicing to no longer fear fear right lori of 2018 still desperately fears fear that's true quite true you know i'm rambling a bunch but these are just the thoughts i've been stewing on. no i uh i mean i really appreciate it it's it's the, the proximity of the david gordon green trilogy makes it tempting to just focus there and i think it's arguable that those three installments are the most focused and the most thematically rich of what we have past the original. Um, Mm -hmm. I individually blame a lot of that on the, some of which we've discussed could not get into all the depth of it. You know, you have the thorn trilogy, which nearly every single one of them were production conflicts, people, creative minds vying and wrestling and grappling with multiple scripts sure. and, and multiple drafts. And and then especially for something like Halloween 5, where it's just kind of rushed out there and, and just kind of thrown together. So it's understandable. I, I, I'm In a way, I'm kind of letting them off the hook, where it's like, it's understandable why with this they're most... Yes, they're <laughs> a mess. With this most recent trilogy, we instead have a visionary approach that had the backing of some brilliant people who had sat with this franchise for a long time culturally, or at least had the instincts that first started us here. And then you had a producer in Jason Blum who basically, I'm sure he provided input and I'm sure he provided guidance, but basically just kind of let them do their thing. And that's why they're so easy to talk about and why it's so rich to, to get into the particulars of them. I don't want to ignore the things that I'll I'll say it this way. Looking back over the franchise, when fans would get upset with with what they received in a Halloween film, typically, and it started with Season of the Witch, but they would get upset when they didn't see Michael Myers 
like an apex predator hacking and slashing through the town, through victims. I don't even know that I have a lot substantive to say, but I have pondered this quite a bit in the wake of the negative responses to Halloween ends. Because some of the commentary I heard, people were like, where's Michael through most of this? And where are the kills? And, and, and all of these sort of comments. And it reiterated to me that, it, that some people go to these films because they want to see Michael suit up and hunt and hack and slash. And I wondered why that is so prevalent and why people are so attracted and drawn to wanting that imagery, that familiarity. It's like, no, I, I just want to see him, you know, destroy people and, and, and hapless victims. And I find it as compelling as I find it frightening in the way that I think we crave, and uh, I'll say it this way, I, maybe I'm overreaching, but I think, actually, I'm going to back up and as a prelude, I'm going to recall back one of my favorite conversations that we've had in the last couple of years. We've been doing the show six years now, but one of my favorite conversations we've had is the conversation we had about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And the way that we addressed in that conversation, how stories give us a place to put our imagination. They give us iconography. They give us metaphor. They give us alternate histories. They give us alternate stories. They just give us a place to put our imagination. And I wonder, this is the positive light of it, I wonder if as fear rattled and anxiety riddled as these times and these days can be, if it provides a cathartic comfort to say, well, Michael Myers is on the loose again, so I don't have to deal with the things that are close to me and right next to me because I can imaginatively put all my fears there and when the movie credits roll, they're there. They're locked away in the vault of that film and they're not present with me. And what can be kind of unsettling is, and this actually happens a bit, it kind of is encroached upon in... um Rob Zombie's films a little bit is that no, this evil comes from a place. Now it may not come from the same place every time, but it comes from a place, and that place is closer to you and your experience than you might be comfortable admitting. And Halloween Ends absolutely goes there, but I think that's part of why you know the Thorn trilogy, Return and Revenge and Curse, almost like work super hard to explain why Michael Myers is such a resilient presence, why he's so evil. They, you know, they confuse themselves and get in their own way. Um, there's, a, there's almost an affectionate way you can view those as like the Loomis Fever Dream trilogy because this is kind of his view of Michael personified and, and given legs and given room to walk around. But back to what I was saying a second ago is we want to explain or we have the desire to want to explain evil in the world. Well, this happened because this, and this situation, this, this dreadful, heinous thing is rooted in this problem. It's rooted in this societal ill. It's rooted in this psychological deficiency in this individual, or, or, or however you want to terminate, whatever terminology you want to assign to it. And I wonder sometimes if people get mad when they see a new Halloween movie that doesn't feature Michael, because they didn't get 
the catharsis of putting their fear onto a place that is familiar and 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 recognized and known that they can package it away and instead they have to grapple with the ways that evil changes shape. Uh, it's a pondering that I have. It's just a, a fascination I have with it. In true lucky fashion, I think you're being a little generous from the standpoint of, and perhaps frighteningly in true Nathan fashion, maybe this is cynical of me, but I, uh, my own personal prelude, I, I never, I always liked, you know, thriller, spooky, scary horror genre type material. Sure didn't actively avoid slasher, but act, but didn't like, Oh, I love the slasher subgenre. So, you know, can't really speak from that standpoint, but, and so it's going to sound like I'm casting aspersions. I'm, I'm actually not because what we do here is traffic and horror movies, but there's a world where you said people go to the, the iterations of a Michael story to have a place to put their fears. And th- the cynical part of me wants to say, I'm worried they go, that the catharsis isn't how to deal with my fears. The catharsis is, well, I'm really pissed at my coworker and sure. want to take out my, sure. yeah. my, my vengeful energy that way. And so when I think that's right. An ends rolls. Yeah. Yeah. When an ends rolls along, here's, here's the hard part. Reed. I, ends for me. Isn't like, Um, I would have to look at my list for the year. It might make a top 10 for me for the year just because I haven't seen much beyond horror films, but understood, but in, in a, in a vacuum, it didn't like stir my soul or necessarily fuel my imagination per se where I'm going with this though, is what it does do for me Mm -hmm. and what I think really strong art does for me and what I am worried continues to exist in our world and culture and media is diminishing is introspection, man. Yeah. We are not introspective people. We want the POV of us, but not us. We want the mask of Michael on Mm. as we slay some bitches Mm. because when instead what you do is say, Hey, by the way, it is you, right? It's not Michael, right? It's you. We really don't like that. Yeah. And we say, well, F you, bro. That's not my Michael. It's like, no, because you're, you're him. Right. Like you may not go full Corey, but we all have that. I mean, stupid, like con- confession time. I, I want to believe in the world. I'm not the only person who does stupid shit like this, but uh, you know, whatever it's, it's m- my version is me. My version of being Michael is me. The person I know that I think is a doofus in the world, I go look at their social media. Why do I do it? Mm. Hell, if I know, mm. because mm. I'm bored and I'm dumb in my bored moments. Yeah. And yeah. in that moment, I'm, I'm quote unquote, Michael, I'm using air fingers, yeah. air quotes here. Right. I'm Michael. Cause I want to be, oh yeah. What does a stupid idiot have to say? Sure. That's sure. terrible. No, I understand. But it's a real thing that in my dumber moments I can do. What is harder for me is to put that mirror up. And, and that mirror saying, take that mask off, you idiot. Mm. You're it. Yeah. Quit hiding. These things are in you. Like, yeah. I, and, and I just think we really, we will we'll chalk it up to. And again, I'm not even saying Halloween end should have earned all critic play critics praise across the board. I'm not even saying that. I'm simply saying to your question mark of why are people so disrupted 
by a movie that doesn't quite, in this case, give them what they quote unquote thought they wanted. To me, it's it's because it's trying to paint this through line, this this arrow through these three films of this thing, this in in human form embodied evil is just an engine of destruction. Isn't it cool? 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 Oh, by the way. Yeah. It's you. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and we really, I say this compassionately. We don't know what to do with that. Right. We understand. We haven't practiced and disciplined ourselves and trained ourselves and, and understood ourselves enough to recognize. So instead we take it instead of taking it in and resting in it and absorbing it and processing it and marinating on it, and meditating on it. We just like stupid. Right. Not my Michael. Right. Yeah. When there's a much bigger gift inside of that movie for the taking. Anyway, that's what your thoughts made me think of. Yeah. Well, and, um, what's interesting as well, and I'm going to, I'm going to tie these two together is, is I think a lot of people who are frustrated by, I don't want to speak for all these people. I'll just tell you my response to it, that it's like people get frustrated that it's like, it wasn't even Michael. Like, and I think there's a temptation for those who responded very negatively to that, to like really lash out at David Gordon green, like, or, you know, to these creative filmmakers, like, why did you do this? Forgetting. I mean, I cited it in my favorite sequels, forgetting that they, they toyed with this notion back in the eighties with Jamie. You know, that it, that it moves on. Now, granted, there was a familial co- connection there that, um, that maybe, you know, was worth considering at the time. But Halloween Ends, I'll say it this way, Halloween Ends was not the first Halloween movie to flirt with the idea that Michael would, be the only, would not be the only shape. You know, Halloween 4, the, re- the return of Michael Myers, absolutely did it in one of the most galvanizing endings to any of the film in the in the franchise it dropped that notion that hey even what most would deem the most innocent and uh sort of beyond infection among us are susceptible to these kinds of things and then halloween ends brings that back and i and i do receive and and respond to what you're saying that it's like oh yeah like all of that coolness all of that you know that 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 energy that we sort of put behind it and say like oh yeah this is cool this is just kind of fun and maybe find some catharsis in suddenly when the mirror turns around to us we have some choices to make but to your point i think one of the things that's so savvy about the green trilogy and again i don't love kills i i some days i'm not even sure if i like it but i, I really like it's part of the mix but to your point, what's so savvy about it is it, it knows the Lori. Yeah. I'm sorry. The Jamie touchstones. Right. Like right, right, right. it is, it is wisely pulling every strand it has at its, at its disposal. And whereas you're identifying rightly. So Jamie, Oh my God. Um, no, I know it's, it's, it's Jamie's the end of four uh-huh. is a galvanizing scene, but you could chop that scene off. Right. still have the movie that's there. It's true. What green does that's so controversial is says, what if that story is the film? Yeah. What if that was the next you know? continuation? Right. What, where, what right. if that's where we um, went next? And to yeah. me, it's not, he, he's smart enough to know franchise storytelling. Let me flirt with legacy and inherited characters. So he uses that trope 
But to me, it's more, it's less about, will there be a new Michael mm-hmm. and more about, Hey, <laughs> yeah, 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 there will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why would you even ask that? What a dumb question. And, anyway. and I would even, I would even go so far as to say, and this, this uh, I'm winding down towards what I hope will be some final reflections, but that like, it does solidify for me. I, I I would do myself a disservice if I ever reached a point to where I thought like, well, that's not me. I'm not capable of any of that. A- am I read capable of like brandishing weaponry and going on a hack and slash? I really, you know, that is a very, very big stretch. <laughs> um, but you cited your unhealthy proclivity to just sort of, you know, examine the social media behavior of people that you know is going to incense you. Um, and for me, there is a prof- And that was one part confession, one part repentance. So I, no, I, I'm I get not, it. Like, no, I get happy it. about that. No, no, no. I, I, <laughs> to anyone who's like, damn. No, <laughs> I, no, I get it. I get it. And in similar spirit, you know, um, I have certain catalysts, certain things that um, immediately make me display the uglier sides of my temperament the uglier sides of my of of my nature even if that's just in uh harsh language or even if that's just in uh an angry i'm going to use this uh it's going to sound metaphysical i don't mean it to like an angry spirit just well suddenly now all you're getting is my anger that's all you're getting is is just we may be engaged in any version of relationship or conversation or or partnership or whatever it is but now because these catalysts have happened all you're getting from me is uh my anger and my irritation and it is i would do myself a disservice if i denied in myself how quickly and easily i can put on that mask i can pick it up and 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 suddenly um it just is not the version of myself that I want to be. It's not the person. It's not the person that I mean to be. It's not the person I intend to be. And I feel like, you know, there's ways in which we would like to think the best of people. And um, I think it's important that we continue to strive to think the best of people. Um, I think it's also wisdom. And uh, of course, he would have embodied this perfectly. But I think, you know, the figure of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, had the best uh, balance to this of knowing what people are capable of while also knowing, (laughs) actually, period, knowing what people are capable of. And uh, the great goodness and the great evil that resides in in everyone uh, and that that balance or that uh, distribution of our best and worst selves that are constantly at war within us, uh, just the ways that that can manifest based on what's going on in our life, based on what we choose to put our attentions in, based on the masks we choose to wear. Uh, the, I think it's uncomfortable for us to realize that to a degree, we mold our own shape. And I think that's uncomfortable for us to have to wrestle with. We, I think, are far more comfortable admitting that we've been shaped by external factors or that we've been shaped by other things. 
and the things that have happened to us in our life, that that's what uh, shapes, maybe even defines who we are. And I think the responsibility that we bear for how we can change our own shape and form, physically, mentally, and emotionally, uh, I think is something that we don't want to to really wrestle with. Um, but I am of the belief, uh, dare I say, of the conviction that we are not merely a product of the things that have happened to us. We are constantly in the process of shaping ourselves. Things are shaping us, but it is also what we do with them that determines what form we will take and how we will navigate the world. I have that deeply held belief and conviction. And, you know, ostensibly there's a a tremendous, and this will be my, um, I'm trying to wind to a close on this, is that there's also a faith component that, that comes to there, is that I can lean upon the work of the Lord, I can lean upon the work of the Holy Spirit in me to try to help me make the decisions that will better shape who I am and 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 surrender myself to what the Lord would want my shape and form to be in the world around me, not just defined by external factors and not just defined by my own choices, but also uh, molded and influenced by His will and intention for my life. And hopefully, all of those things blend together to 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 produce something that's productive and good and right and healthy. Um, but I think it's important that we recognize that that is not automatic, that that's not something that is automatically going to happen. It takes some work, and it takes some choice, and it takes some introspection to, to part of the earlier point that you were making. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, that, that may be my sort of final... I do love this franchise. Um, we don't. Yeah, it's fun. We're we're obviously not doing the fog meter for this episode because we didn't discuss any new material. Um, but uh, but I, I love this franchise. I have appreciated now more than ever this season more than ever being able to engage with this franchise. This is arguably you know the legacy franchise that started the slasher genre. Uh, it is not the first slasher that was ever made, but it is the one that started the trend. I think that's pretty undeniable. And uh, it's been a real delight for me, uh, with you, my friend, and with our listeners, to walk through this franchise this uh, this particular Halloween. This has been a whole lot of fun. I've, I've enjoyed myself. I hope you have too. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, it was cool to. It was a, it was a wild ride, Reed. It was a wild <laughs> ride. Yeah. All the all the friends we made, all the friends we lost. <laughs> oh man. And I, and I do think Judith, that, Joe, Vicky, on uh, and on it goes, you know, poor, poor cold ones out. Rest, rest in peace, everybody. Um, but, uh, I do think this would be a fun exercise to revisit, uh, maybe as a new tradition. This is a new number one, uh, tradition that maybe every Halloween, we just sort of with more deliberate intention, be like, you know what? We're going to walk through a franchise. We don't know which one it'll be year to year, but we're going to walk through a franchise and we're going to revisit it and we're going to reflect on the iconography and the metaphors and everything. And I think that would be a really, really delightful exercise. Um, so yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on the shape, Michael Myers, any of the films? No, I, no, I w- it, was, it was good stuff. I will say if I took nothing else from this, I took a lot. From these conversations. I took a profound amount from these conversations, but perhaps my favorite thing that has already shown its way into my day-to-day conversations, although nobody knows what I'm talking about, uh, I think it in my head, I've shared it with you at least once or twice, but the thing that 
uh, I will always appreciate this run for is uh, looking at my life, bad days, hard days, uh, difficult conversations, and say, you know what? Just give me Busta. Just please, like, <laughs> just for the love of God, give me Busta. Can somebody, can somebody call Busta Rhymes? Get him over here and just yeah. give me Busta to yes. speak into this situation, to speak life into into my life with all the mother efforts he wants to things drop, are going you know? sideways yeah just, just don't feel like it's clicking for you no just, just pat yourself on the back <laughs> <laughs> and give me buster give me buster man um, that's hilarious so listeners thank you so much for joining us uh we hope you had fun with this franchise with this series we hope you had fun with this conversation um and most especially because we're dropping this on halloween if you're listening to it day and date We hope you have a very safe and a very, very happy Halloween. If you are listening to this after the fact, we hope you had a very safe and a very happy Halloween. Uh, We adore you all, and we appreciate you very much. Nathan, thank you so much uh, for being Mm -hmm. my friend, for walking through this thing called life together with me, and for recording all these conversations with me, because I really, really appreciate it, even when I am very apparently sick. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for the entire duration of the conversation. It's all good, brother. My poor voice. Um, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, is the Quarterly King. It's in the can. It's going to be coming to your feeds. Uh, so next week is Cujo. Watch the film. Reacquaint yourself with the book. Next week is Cujo with the Quarterly Kings, and we will be announcing sometime thereafter where we will be closing out the year with. But um, uh, until then, happy Halloween, everybody. We'll see you next week. Happy Halloween. Well, <laughs> see you next time. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media, essays, and episode archive merchandise and more. If you love what we do, please consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast. There you'll unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online event access, and so much more. We want to issue a special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork, also to our assortment of talented musicians, including Andrew Nelson, The Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes, and also to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music. Special thanks also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.